Welcome to the Life Melbourne podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. So today we get to talk about the Bible, the Ooh, yes. living word. And we get to go a little bit deeper today, a little bit um, more of a teaching style, which is going to be amazing. And we're excited about it because the Bible is in incredibly reliable. It's incredibly trustworthy. Our faith is built on the Bible, the Word of God. And yeah. so I think it's an amazing opportunity for us to go deeper. Absolutely. And I just, I don't know about you, but I love, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. I'll maybe share a little bit about it later, but it was about two years ago. And obviously as pastors, you know, being in the Word of God and, and, and reading it and learning it and studying it and letting it read us, letting it study us, letting it search us, is so critical to, to how we lead. And as a church, you've got to hear it, as a church founded by Pastor Paula Marie, it's founded on the Word of God, and it will always remain cemented on the Word of God. And it's always been a massive part of our walk and our life as pastors, but at the same time, this time, two years ago, God actually said to me, I want you to read my Word more than you've ever read it before. And, uh, and I've got to tell you that uh, I have fallen in love with God's Word like never before. And what started as a point of discipline has actually become one of the greatest desires of my every day. And if I don't get that moment at the start of the day, spending time reading from the New Testament and the Old Testament and just growing in it, I tell you, I feel like I'm walking the day hungry. And I think in this time and in this day, we have a lot of hungry Christians because we're not actually fulfilling our, our souls and our spirits with the Word of God. And therefore, we actually start snacking on a whole lot of stuff that actually doesn't satisfy and so our heart today isn't to come down and be like, you must read more. That's not the goal at all. But I think it's important for us as believers, as Christians, or those searching the faith, to realize that what our faith is built upon stacks up. Like you can build your life upon it. Come on, marriages, we can build our marriages upon the Word of God. Business people, you can build it on the Word of God. We can raise our kids on the Word of God. And we can live in a point of singlehood on the Word of God. We can live out our future years on the Word of God. There's not an area in life that the Word of God doesn't bring His strength, His wisdom, and His presence into. And so our goal is to be able to go, yeah, teaching style a bit more, but I hope for all of us, again, cements the reality of, wow, there is nothing in this world like the Word of God. And so uh, let's just pray, and then we'll jump into awesome. it. Awesome. Well, God, we just thank You for this moment. God, we thank You for the privilege of actually having Your Word that we can open, that we can take life from yes. every single day. And God, I just pray that this time together, we would literally have our eyes open to the wonder of your word in a greater way, that we would, you would develop in us a hunger to read it. God, we know that we can't do this in our own strength. God, you give us the desire for your word. Yes. And I pray that desire, that fire for your word is lit afresh in every single one of us in a new way. Yes. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. 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 Thank Amen. you, team. It's You're amazing. amazing. Thank you so much. Incredible. Well, we're going to start with a few incredible facts about the Bible, a few things that are hard to ignore about this amazing book. You know that it is the most distributed and read book in the entire world. It is never included in the bestsellers list because if it was, every single time it would be number one. How cool. How amazing is that? The British and Foreign uh, Bible Society say that they sell five to seven billion copies have been sold across the world of the Word of God. How amazing is that? Over 100 million sold every single year. It's the most stolen book of all time. How epic is Come that? Come on, hand up if you've ever stolen a Bible. 
<laughs> One of the Gideon's ones from the hotel, maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> wow. This Confessions is good. this morning. No. <laughs> yeah, I love this. The reason for the invention of the printing press was that the Bible would be more widely distributed. So the reason we have paper press today, printed press, is founded on the Word of God. How yes. amazing is that? It's been translated into 3,324 languages. People have given their lives for yeah. this book, for the Word of God. Yeah. One guy in particular, I love his story. It's the story of William Tyndale, and he was actually the first person to translate the Bible from Latin into English, and it was in the 1500s, and in those days, it was illegal to own a Bible, to have a Bible. It was also illegal to even translate the Bible into English. In 19, uh, sorry, in 1500, sorry, in 1519, seven Christians were killed for teaching their children the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer in English. And so he grew up in that kind of environment. He was very wealthy, incredibly educated. He knew seven languages, French, Greek, Hebrew, German, Italian, Latin, and Spanish. And he grew in after attending um, theology and doing a lot of education. He heard from God to translate the Bible into English. And so he ended up leaving behind all his friends, all his wealth to do this. He actually had to go into hiding to do it. He translated the New Testament, and after that, it was still illegal, but people were obtaining copies of the New Testament. Prisons were overflowing because Christians were prepared to go to prison for their faith. People were being martyred because they had a Bible, but he still kept translating it. He went to translate the Old Testament. He, was in, he ended up being betrayed by a friend, was in prison for 18 months, and then was strangled and burned at the stake for translating the Bible. You know, we hold the word, in our, uh, word of God in our hands so lightly today. You know, we, it often sits by our bedside table, and if we feel like reading it, we read it. But yet people have given their lives for this book. Yeah. They have literally been burnt, given up futures, given up wealth because of the treasures and the gold in this book. And I pray again, like we said before today, the wonder that we have access to this book comes alive in us in a new Amen. way because what people have given so that we can access it is amazing. What's, um, and, what's incredible about that story, though, to go yes. on, is that uh, God actually answered his prayer. So even though he passed away, yes. three years later, uh, the King of England actually attained the Bible and gave the command that, uh, that the translation that he had translated and given his life for would be put into every single church of England, and the rest is history because of what he decided to commit his life to. How good is that? Amazing. It's amazing. Sometimes we think it's getting squashed, but actually it's getting positioned in the right place for the right time for it to actually spread like never before. Totally. And some of his words he said was, do you know who taught the eagles to find their prey? Well, that same God teaches his hungry children to find their father in his word. And I love that he had a passion for people to find the word of God because it revealed who our father is, Amazing. our God in heaven. You know, when I grew up, I was often told that the Bible was an instruction for life. You know, it obtained lessons in life, ways to live out your life. And while that is so true, I've discovered that there is so much more about the Word of God. See, the Word of God is where I discover who my God is. 
It's where I discover the wonder of his character, how much he loves me, how much he has good intentions towards me. In his word, I discover who I am and how much I need to grow and change to be like him. I'm sharpened in his word. It is a living word. It changes us from the inside out. And I think that's one of the privileges that we get to open up who God is in the word of God. We discover who he is. You know, a recent UK study which investigated the key influences that led people coming to faith in Jesus has found that one of the biggest influences, second only to growing up in a Christian family, was reading the Bible. So that's evidence itself. When we read the Bible, we discover who Jesus is. In fact, for younger people, young adults aged 18 to 24, Bible reading is the single biggest influence in bringing people to Jesus. How incredible is that? It is. Wonder of it. And we would love to just go through as well and just and present uh, just historical facts, data that reveals the the I guess the credibility of the Bible and just how incredibly divine that it is. And I mean, the word Bible itself it comes from the Greek word biblion, Uh, and it's in fact not just one book. It's made up of sixty six books, thirty nine in the Old Testament, twenty seven in the New Testament, and. Uh, what's amazing about it is filled with a whole lot of songs, stories, accounts, prophetic warnings, prophetic promises. And in fact, 2,500 prophecies are declared throughout the Bible. And to this point, we've seen over 2,000 of them have been fulfilled amazing. and still being fulfilled in the day and age that we are. How awesome is that? So it's not like everything about the Bible is stop and done, but it, we're constantly seeing the revealing of that which God promised in our very day and age. And in fact, the, an incredible... Uh, um, piece of work, I don't know how another word to say, uh, was done where basically from Genesis 1 through to Revelation 22, uh, they did a cross-section and looked at uh, the reality of how much the Bible actually cross-references itself and works amongst itself. And uh, there's a picture of it up on screen here. And so uh, what down the bottom is all the different books of the Bible, and then the lines are all the areas that it cross-references itself. It cross-references itself 65,000 times, and to think that that would be done by one author would be incredible. But to think that it was done by 40 authors over three different countries in different languages over 1,500 years, and it all doesn't contradict itself, but it stands united as one story of God's message of redemption and hope and love that's found in an everlasting God is amazing. (laughs) Like there is no literature on the planet that comes ever close to anything like the Bible. I love that 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture. Listen to it. Even the stuff that's hard, even the stuff that's very confronting, even the things that today's day and age would say, you can't think that, believe that. All Scripture is God-breathed. All of it. That's the amazing thing. The Holy Spirit worked through people, through these authors, to describe God's Word. Not their thoughts, not their opinions. No, God's Word through His Spirit. And, uh, and I've done some study on this and looked into it myself, and I have seen that we heard, even Jesus himself, until he was filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized, we do not see his writings before that point. So even Jesus was filled with it by the Spirit before we see anything penned from his words himself that are put in the Bible. So even the people before Jesus and after Jesus were Holy Spirit-led. Even Jesus himself, his words written, was when he was Holy Spirit-led. Every word has come through the power of his Spirit articulating every single one. I love what Psalm 12, one of my favorite scriptures, it says this, and the words of the Lord are flawless. 
like silver, listen to this, purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. Don't you love, I love that. I love that our, the Word of God has been purified like gold seven times. Seven times gone through, gone through, gone through, gone through, and it's pure. It's absolutely pure. And in a day and an age that says, hey, you can't ask that question, you can't look into that, you can't reason with that, it doesn't matter that there's no facts that point to that. It doesn't matter that there's actually no evidence of why that is. And says, now you can't look into that. I love that the Bible says, look into it. Come. Come on, for thousands of years, people have tried to pull it apart. But guess what stood through every generation, through every society, through every season? It's his beautiful word of God. And I think that's worth building our lives on. So good. And I just love that God hasn't created us to stumble through this life. So true. Trying to work out what truth is. He has given us truth in his word. I actually love when... Uh, Jesus was um, was just betrayed and he was about to be tortured and then crucified and he was talking to Pilate and he says these words in John 18 verse 37 to 38. Pilate's asking him, are you king? And he said, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born, hear this, came into the word is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He's come to articulate truth to us in his word. He's like, I don't want you stumbling on your own in darkness trying to work out this life. No, I've given you truth in my word. And then Pilate replies to him these words. And he says, what is truth? Pilate says back to him. And that is the cry of our generation today. What is truth? With all this information around us, we're in the information day and age. We have information bombarded us 24-7. It's the cry of our generation. Well, what is truth? And Jesus is saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know life and truth, find it in my words. So I think it's so powerful that he's given us his words. So why the Bible? Why is it trustworthy? That's the first thing we want to look at. And we can actually apply a historical method to looking into the trustworthiness of the Bible. You know, there's so many things that happen in life, and we are able to obtain whether they're truth or whether they're just a made-up story based on different things. And the first thing is whether it's grounded in history. And we can trust the Bible. It's not a historical document giving us all of history, but it is grounded in history, and it gives us facts that lines up with history. I love what the Apostle Luke wrote in chapter 1, verse 1 to seven, uh, one to 4. He says, Many have un- undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, talking about the life of Jesus, just as they were handed down to us from those who were first eyewitnesses and the servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, and Luke was a very smart man, he was a doctor. So he's saying here, I have decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So the Bible has been written with this incredible intentionality. It's not told as a fairy tale story. It's not told as a dramatic account. It is told as, a, as the Word of God, as truth. Um, it's told with set in real places, with real people mentioned all through history. Every road, town, village, people group is accurately recorded. And I love that world events that are written about in the Bible are also found in ancient cultures and civilizations as well. Things like Egypt experiencing famines, 
which when Israel interacted with them, those kind of things are found in the history of the Egyptian records. We've got a few things just to point out, because all of these things just help build the credibility of the Bible. Because we live in a day and age today where through social media and different things, things can be poured across our path that aren't true. And it can discredit the Word of God. But the Word of God, the credibility of this document, nothing else has been able to come close. And I think as Christians, we need to know for sure that our faith is sounded upon what is solid, what is true. And all of this just helps to build the credibility of what we believe. So from the Babylonian period, I'm going to put on screen this picture. This stone has been found, which is the Sumerian king list, and it lists all the kings who've reigned through long periods of time. And then it talks about how a great flood came. And again, following the pattern of the Bible, the Sumerian kings ruled for much shorter periods of time after the flood. And again, that same pattern is found in the Bible in terms of people's lifespans. You're going to point out some other things. Yeah, How another awesome one, is that? Uh, yeah, that's great. Another one, I mean, we get like, we go, that's amazing. But at the same time, it should be expected, right? Yeah. Like it's, this is pretty cool as well. In 1993, so not that long ago, um, there was no proof actually of the existence of King David, uh, although he obviously plays a significant key role throughout the Old Testament, um, or even of Israel as a nation prior to Solomon. Then in 1993, archaeologists found proof of King David's existence outside of the Bible. Uh, at an ancient mound called Tel Dan in the north of Israel, words carved into a chunk of basalt were translated as House of David and King of Israel. <laughs> this has proved that David was more than just a legend. Amazing. How awesome is that? So if you look good. at um, archaeological remains in a place called Migdio, uh, it shows that building walls were exactly the specify, as specified in 1 Kings 7 verses 1. It says that the great court had three courses of cut stone around it and the courses of cedar beams. And if you look in this photo, it's exactly as it was declared and described in the book of Kings as they have found it in the recent years. And just that sort of stuff is just, it's credible, it's viable, it builds confidence. And the truth of it is, when he says that all scripture is God-breathed, then when we look at that, and that's the cool thing, some people are wired, others are wired, going, I need to see the facts. This is facts. Then out of the facts of that, then it also provides opportunity for us to grow in faith in the things that require us to step a little bit more on water, as we should say, and that have that tangible sense of, okay, if God was promised and that was faithful, then I can trust other areas also to be faithful and know that God is also in that. Because again, 65,000 times, cross reference, it all works as one. So good. So another amazing thing that's been found very recently was the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were found in western side of the Dead Sea in 1947, and shepherds were throwing rocks into a cave, heard pottery shatter, and they discover now what's been known as the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are 190 biblical scrolls. Almost every Old Testament book was found and dated back to around 250 years before Jesus and preserved most of the Old Testament. The copies that were found aligned to the Old Testament that we have in our hands today. How incredible is that? Revealing that the Bible that we have has been preserved in its translation for over thousands of years. No other book in history has been preserved in that kind of way. How amazing is our Bible? It's incredible. I also love that, again, with the life of Jesus, so many other historians have also spoken about Jesus that, um, that line up to the Bible. The Roman historian, Senator, which we're going to put a, a stone picture up 
of him. Um, Tactius, I'm just glad this one's got cloth over him because a lot of those images kind of tend to bear all. But he wow. told me. Someone's been on holiday too long. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> but he refers to Jesus and his execution by Pilate and then also how the growth of Christianity took off after Jesus to the point that Nero, the Roman um, Empire at the time, persecuted Christians in a major way. And he talks about this. So all of these, again, and this is from a man that didn't believe in Jesus in terms of his faith. So all of this, again, just builds credibility to the Word of God, which is amazing. Yeah, it is incredible. I was just thinking about this, as you were saying before, uh, Beauty. It just says in, in Hebrews 11, as we know, is like a real verse of faith. Uh, but this caught me and underlined it. Um, a little while ago, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And listen to this, by faith we understand. You could hear it even if you're watching online from a place of just going, hey, I'm, I'm just starting to put my toes in the water and obviously you got to just have a whole lot of blind faith. No, you don't. By faith we understand. What is understanding? Understanding is the ability to reason. Understanding is the ability to work it out. Understanding is the ability to be able to provide sound, understanding, communicable uh, reality of God's truths and His Word and the reality of who He is. We can understand it. And, uh, and you don't need to be some spiritual, airy-fairy kind of let's live in the river. You can be hard facts, scientifically driven. I love we have a church full of doctors and medical professionals and people don't have to turn off their brains when they walk into the church. No, turn them on, get them alive, start digging deep. And I tell you, that's where our love for this keeps growing because we realize, one, we're not going to understand it all because he's God, we're not. But at the same time, understanding is something that is really um, significant to carry in our faith. But as Nadia said before, it relies on a multitude of witnesses. So even when we look at um, the reality of the Bible, it's been written by, as we said before, 40 authors. Most faiths have been written by one. Uh, and again, not as close to the proximity of when they were written towards the actual events happening. Uh, the Bible is the closest written historical document towards the actual events. Uh, the, most of them are hundreds of years after that happened. Uh, even Alexander the Great was written about, as people would say, he's a, he's a certain figure in history. He was actually written about about 400 years after he lived. People wrote of Christ and what he did, uh, and the apostles wrote of him literally uh, 30 to 60 years after the life that Christ lived. The proximity of time is incredible. And you go, yeah, that's 30 years. Well, I can tell you today what I did as a 10-year-old. And you wouldn't question whether I was right about the fact that as 10 years old, I lived in WA and a place called Kananara, and I used to ride my motorbike everywhere. You, if I wrote that down, you wouldn't not believe it. Someone, there's a really close proximity of time towards. But I love it because it's got multitudes of witnesses. And, um, and so even as Jesus rose from the dead, that's a significant part of our faith. But the resurrection isn't something that we need to turn again our brains off to. No, we actually need to look at the logical and the evidence that's provided and realize that on that, we can be certain that Christ did raise from the dead. He wasn't just a good uh, martyr uh, and a lover of people. No, he was Christ. He was the anointed one, the Messiah, who went down, defeated death once and for all, Amen. rose from the grain so yep. that we can live victorious today. And the presence of God can meet us now as strong as it was then. And, uh, and he actually revealed himself to over 500 people. But one of the amazing things is, is, is that the first people to see the tomb was empty was women. And uh, who knows? That's a good thing. And the yeah. amazing thing is, though, back then, if you wanted... <laughs> the amazing thing back then, though, is that actually women's credibility in giving testimony wasn't counted. 
So if you actually wanted to convince people of something, you wouldn't get a woman's testimony, not even one or two. You would actually get men's testimony because people wouldn't believe what a woman would say. Unbelievable. (laughs) Yes, they were seen as unbelievable back then. But the truth of it is they weren't trying to convince, tell a convincing story in the Bible. No, they're presenting the truth. And when you present the truth, you don't need to try and convince in other ways. You just need to bring the clarity of what's true. And, uh, and so it's amazing that then he repairs, as the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, he actually appears to over 500 people. And people who didn't even believe in God or want to believe in God talk about the reality. They saw God, they saw, sorry, Jesus in the flesh post the reality of his death. And, uh, and it's just absolutely incredible. And we had disciples who were hiding in their houses for fear of the Jews. But once they saw Jesus and were filled with the Spirit, by willingness, they went out in faith to the nations and were willing to give their lives. And most of them lost their lives for telling of the resurrected Savior we have in Jesus. Charles, Charles Colson puts it like this. I know the resurrection is fact. And Watergate, the scandal of Watergate, proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them were beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. So you're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. What an amazing perspective that is. Don't you love that we have a resurrected Savior? Amen. So good. If you want to do more research into all of this, A Case for Christ by Lee Strubel is an amazing book to read. He has written a lot of other books as well that give evidence around Christianity. He was actually an atheist in the, um, the States and uh, a journalist hated the thought of God and his wife got radically saved and he saw such profound changes in her that he decided, right, I'm going to have to investigate Christianity and who Jesus is. And he went for a year investigating the evidence behind Christianity and he was so powerfully impacted. He became a Christian at the end of it and said it would take more faith for me to believe in my atheism than to believe in Jesus. And he now preaches around the word as an amazing man of God. So it's an incredible book to read. Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel. Yep, that's right. He's also done a movie about it as well. It's an amazing movie to watch. But again, the last part around this whole area of how we can trust the Word of God has been faithfully passed down. How the Torah, the Old Testament, has been passed down is just the first five books of the Bible is profound. It was a scribe's role to do in the Jewish culture, and it would require that they would memorize the entire scroll word for word, which is just huge in itself. And it would then take up to three years to reproduce one copy. In the copying and writing, even though the scribes knew it word for word off by heart, they were not allowed to write it word for word. But in sync with another scribe, they would write letter by letter. So in writing the word Jehovah, another scribe would say J. It would be written down J, letter by letter, to ensure 100% accuracy so that we can confidently say today, the Lord has said, this is the word of God. So again, amazing. Amazing. I reckon the truth of it is, is truth is only truth if it's been tested and tried. Truth is only truth if it's been tested and tried. The truth of it is, 
is it's relevant. God's Word today is relevant. It's relevant. It's relevant to our everyday. It's relevant to the reality of our every need. It's, a real, it's relevant to who we are. Um, you know, people are so quick in trusting cultural theory over proven Christian biblical theology. So quick. But we've got to understand we've got a living word. We've got a living word that passes through. Oh, it was written ages ago. It's not relevant today. No, no, no. It's a living word. It's alive and relevant today as much as it was in biblical times. God has spoken through the word. And I love what Nicky Gumbel says. And he's still speaking through the word. Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the word of God is living and active and full of power. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, which is the completeness of a person. And of both joints and marrow, which is the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of our heart. And the thing is, as we look at this and we hear the word judging, and so we think, oh, there it is. The Bible's standing over top of me, looking at my every action, looking to judge. You did wrong there. You did wrong there. You're not right there. But if we understand that word judged by today's context, that's the picture we get. But if we look at it actually in Hebrew context of what the word judge means, it doesn't actually mean judge of someone with their finger at us. It actually means defender, someone who is anointed by God to set us free. Amazing. See, there's a whole book in the Bible called Judges, and they were people who were not in a courtroom officials. They were people who were anointed by God to set God's people free. So the Word of God is actually set up to be able to enable our hearts, our thoughts, and our lives to be set free. Isn't that unbelievable? Like That's the power of it. And the Hebrews 4.12 said again, for the Word of God is living. Come on, it's active. But how active it is in our life is not up to how active the Word is. It's how much I am active in the Word. And then it is full of power. How powerful is it is how much authority I let it have in my life. So good. It's either got authority or it doesn't have authority in my life. But the truth is it's God's Word. It's His Word. It's powerful. It can change lives. It can shape nations. But I've got to give it authority because I declared, no, this is your word. It's not an opinion. No, no, no. This is omnipresent. The word of God, the omnipresent, what does it mean? All-powerful, supreme, unstoppable. I love that. The word of God is unstoppable. So good. A study was conducted which looked at the effect of reading Scripture on the everyday lives of people. Mm. This is profound. The study indicated that when people engaged in Scripture once a week, which could include, say, listening to a church message like we're doing today, there wasn't any difference in people's lives. The same was true if people engaged in Scripture two times a week. Three times a week saw a little effect on people's lives, but true change happened when people read the Bible at least four times a week. Mm. These findings revealed that loneliness dropped 30%, Anger issues drop 32%. Bitterness in relationship drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. And this is what's profound. Sharing your faith jumps 200%. Discipling others uh, jump 230 so percent. How profound is that? So some of us think, you know, like I can, you know, come to church and just read my Bible, say once a week, but it's doing nothing for our lives. Real change happens at least 
four times a week when we're reading the Bible, when we're de- getting dwelling in the Word of God, meditating on it, and allowing it to change our lives. So how incredible is that? So how cool. It can and I love that the, the Bible actually talks about how we read the Bible is to do it in community. Right, So it's not just this pressured moment, but it is a moment. We do it together. Right, That's why groups are so important. Yeah. That's why doing life with a few people and having each other accountable. How's your reading going? What are you reading? What are you studying at the moment? Do it together. So it isn't an area of shame, but it's an area of, of actually strengthening one another. The cool thing is, is next year, we're actually looking at and going to be starting, uh, probably in the second term, we're going to start Bible courses at night. And so uh, throughout the different terms, we're going to have opportunity to come and be a part of it and actually go deeper into different books, into different series, so that we can, again, study a little bit more in the, in the Word of God. Who would love that? I think it'd be awesome. Looking forward to that. And I've uh, got a great team preparing that. But um, we've, we've got to close. And I just feel like we could just keep speaking on this because it's just so, it's so um, I don't know, I just get, my, my spirit's alive. Like, I'm just, I'm feeling so fueled, right? Um, so the Bible says this in John 1, 1 to 5, and I've got to be really quick. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. First point that I learned as I started reading the Bible in this last two years, more than ever before, about 40 to 50 minutes a morning, and that's not a, that's not a brag on me. I struggle to read. So Nadia probably take her 15 minutes, all right? So it's not a brag. It's like, wow, he really does read that slow. Um, what I realized is that this is not a book alone. It's a person. And when I looked at it as a book on the shelf, I can leave a book on the shelf. But when I look at it as my Savior wanting to talk to me, sitting next in my bed, what I want to do is I want him to talk to me. And I want to talk back to him. Some days I find myself blown away. Other days I find myself just faithful. But each day I know seeds are going into my life that shape me to be who he wants me to be. Not what I see myself as, not what the world says that I am that says who, declares who he say I am. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, listen to this word, was life. And that was the light of all mankind. Listen, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. 90 second thought that I could probably preach on for a week. About six weeks ago, as I was reading this, God said, what was the first thing the Word did? I was like, it created. The first thing the Word did was it created. It spoke into darkness and enabled light. And then it started to form the planet, the planets, the earth, the, the, the water, the creatures, the humanity, male and female, full stop, is what God created. After that, the Word of God became the command. He gave the commandments that the people would live by. Why? Because He wanted to protect them, He wanted to provide for them, and He wanted His presence to remain with them. So He gave His commands of how to live. Then it became actually a covenant because it wasn't a forced relationship. It was a relationship by choice. So people had to decide whether I would actually commit my heart and my life to following God's ways. As we know, the humanity in all of us, even when we are filled with the Spirit, is we don't get it all right. Truth is, is they didn't have the same empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but the Israelites fell into relationship, out of relationship, into relationship, out of relationship. Who knows that God wanted a lasting relationship with not just the Israelites, but all humans. All creatures, all creatures, all cre- all creation, and all cultures. So he sent his son Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice, so that all who would believe in him could know everlasting life and walk with God. So we go from creative to command to covenant to now Christian. It was initially known as the way, and from the way it became Christian. What does Christian mean? It means Christ anointed 
Tien means little one. So it's like we're anointed little ones as we are children of God, clothed in the grace of God, empowered by the presence of God. After Christian, it really became charismatic. Now, that might not be a word that you like or that you tend to use, but basically that means there was an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The reality is we believe in signs and wonders. We believe that it's not just us obligating a religious duty, but we're in a relational dynamic that enables the same power that raised Christ from the dead now to live in us and flow through us. And through that, we're able to live out the righteousness of God and live the holy life He's called us to live. This is a holy book. It's pure. It is holy. It's perfect. But the truth of it is, is that now it's getting to a point that in today's society, we would say it's not a matter of just being Christian. It's actually conservative. It's conservative. Why? Because the world's decided we don't want to follow these ways that much anymore. We want to make up our own rules and our own methods and our own values. So now the Word of God is actually conservative. In fact, now I would say it's, it's now been labeled and declared even in our stations by our leaders that it's actually controversial. And the truth of it is, is now even to preach elements of the Bible clearly and publicly would be seen as criminal. That's where it's going to. But I love that the Bible puts this so clearly. In 1 Peter 1, 22 to 25, it says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again. Come on, we, we are not the same living in the death of the reality of the past. No, we are born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. No, no, no. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. And as Scripture says, listen, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that has been preached to us and we're called to preach to others. And I felt like God say clearly in this day and age where we feel like it's going dark, come on, our role and responsibility is to remember what was the first thing the Word of God did? It created life. It created light. It created hope. It created peace. It created abundance. It created the ability for there to be strength and there to be the fruitfulness of God's love for all. And I just want to encourage us that we don't need to compromise God's Word in this area. What we need to do is be filled with the Word of God because we will be never more merciful, we'll be never more loving, we'll be never more gracious, and we'll be never more secure. Fear will go out the door. Worry will have to leave. Anxiety will be left behind. Come on, confusion of identity will be restored by clarity of who God says that we are when we understand the clarity of who He really is. And I feel like God's saying, come on, let's start to declare the Word of God. Our communities, our families, and our city needs us to declare God's Word. We need to speak life. We need to speak hope. We need to speak truth. We need to bring the reality of God's Word. Why? Because it's going to bring life, life, and life. And there's going to be healing. There's going to be brokenness that is restored. And lives will be set apart. Not for a moment. Not just for a good time on a Sunday. What did it say? For eternity. For eternity. Can I encourage us to hang more with Him? Let Him speak into your heart. I know what it's like to struggle to read more than a few verses. And I was thinking about it going, God, what was the difference? What was it that made it change for me? One, He put a fresh kick in my spirit. But two... It was the simplicity but the significance of obedience. 
It was obedience. I said, okay, God, you've asked us. I'll do it. And I sit here two years later, and I think about the Bible, and it moves me to tears. This is the greatest material possession we could ever have, is the love of God and His Word and the power. In this world, we will have trouble, but don't worry. I've overcome the world. And the more I hold this Word, I realize I'm not holding the Word. The Word is holding me. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short. But the Bible also tells me, for God so loved the world, that whoever believes in Him, the Bible tells me clearly if we want to believe in Jesus, it's not about going out there, getting your life all sorted and coming back in and fitting a box. No, it's about taking a step of faith to believe. You may be here joining us online. You might be in the room and you've yet to actually connect your heart with God. You've had questions like all of us have had. A lot of us still have great questions that we're searching out in God. That's a real healthy dynamic to have. But you might be in a place where you know you're separated from God. I want to tell you there is nothing that's greater than the love of Jesus and what He did on that cross to remove all separation. The Bible calls it sin. Just puts a word to it. Sin, separated. We were born into sin. We were born separated. But the love of God made a way that every single person, regardless of life, regardless of your past, regardless of what you're doing right now, regardless of whether you think the roof's going to cave in, you're safe. It didn't cave in when I walked in. We're all good. But listen to me clearly. You might be home because you feel more secure being unknown by us. I want to tell you, you're known by God. He loves you and He wants a relationship with you. But the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Secure yourselves in the reality of eternal home in heaven, living with a loving, incredible Savior. The way we understand and we come to know God is through an honest invitation. We call it a prayer to invite God into our heart. And I would love the honor and the opportunity to pray with anyone and everyone here that you could open your heart to Jesus. Maybe for the very, very first time, what a great honor, what a great decision you'd be making today. Maybe you know you're separated from God and it's time to come home. Pray this prayer. Get your heart right. God's pursuing it. He's knocking on the door of your heart right now. I know that He is. So we're all going to pray. I'm not going to ask you to do anything, but I want because God sees your heart, but I am going to ask you to pray this out loud with me. Just say it with all of your heart, and I know God's going to meet you right there. At home, I want you to say that with us. Every person, let's say this together. We're inviting Jesus into our life for the first time or we're coming back. This is the moment. Say after me, say, Dear Jesus, today I invite you into my life. I thank you that you love me and that you remove my sin, that by your death and through your stripes, I am healed. When you rose from the grave, you gave me life, an everlasting life. So I choose to believe in you, to put my trust in you, and to receive your grace, receive your new life. And I declare, with your help, I'm going to journey with you, run towards you, and bear your name from this day forward in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. We trust that you are encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life. And we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Melbourne campus. If you're not in Melbourne, then join us for church online, wherever you are in the world. Just head to lifeau.org to stay connected and find out more.